Lord, thank you for our time together, Lord. It's just good to be dry. It's good to come into a place that's safe, that's cozy, that we can be together and we can seek you. And so I know, and you know, Lord, um, in great detail, the women that have come here today, Lord, there's so many different things that we're carrying, so many things that weigh us down. And I'm just asking by the power of your spirit today, Lord, would you lighten our load? Would you enable us to see you for who you really are? And that alone will encourage us. And so I just ask that you come in power today, that you move mightily, that you speak right to us, Lord, that we would just have a sense that you see us, that you love us, and that you're at work. That's who you are, and that's what you delight to do. And we thank you for that. You are worthy of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so how many of us in the room uh, took in water because of Harvey into your homes? Okay, how many, so are there some of us in the room that are not living in our homes because we're displaced? Yep, yep. Are there any of us that have evacuees living with us because they're displaced? Yep, yep, me right here. Um, Regardless if you are displaced or you're bringing people in, you've probably made a meal. You certainly have helped in some form or fashion. And so we have all collectively experienced a catastrophic event together. And I'm not going to belabor it because I agree with Sylvia. Harvey's name doesn't even deserve mentioning. Uh, do any of you, are y'all, any of y'all married to Harvey, a Harvey? <laughs> or your dad's Harvey? Well, you have permission to go, oh, Harvey, from now on. You can just say that. Um, but I, it was about, it was Thursday. I think the storm really hit on Saturday. Thursday, it may have been Wednesday. I can't get my date. Nothing is right now. It's all foggy. But Nona and I were driving from Houston to Friendswood, and my mother-in-law, her, her name is Cookie, and she's precious. She lives in Brookdale, Senior Citizen Living Center, and she called me and said, I'm just checking on you to see if you're safe, Laura. And y'all, it's like 95 degrees, hot and bright, and I was like, well, yeah, we're safe, Cookie. Nona and I are just driving back into town. Do you need something? And she said, well, no, I just want to make sure you're safe because everybody at Brookdale is kind of making us hunker down. And they're telling us that it's going to rain. And I was like, oh, that's great. I said, we need the rain. My yard is awful. Oh, I'm so grateful that it's going to rain. And there was this pause. And she said, well, yeah, Laura, but 24 inches is, we don't need 24 inches of rain. And I look at Nona, and I'm like, sweet cookie. She's losing it. And I said, oh, honey, we're not going to get 24 inches. No, no, no. I think, I mean, if it rains, we'll just, it'll just soak our grass and it'll be good. And she's like, okay, I'll talk to you later. And so I hung up the phone and I look at Nona and I'm just like, what? Sweet cookie. I think we need to test her again for dementia. And I'm serious. And she's like, are you like, what rock have you come under? She was like, she's talking about the hurricane Harvey that's coming. And I was like, what? And she said, turn, I turned on the news. And I was like, not if it's not E or Entertainment Weekly. I probably have not. So I get home and Thursday we hear that Hurricane Harvey's headed our way. And I live in Friendswood, which is southeast of here. It's a suburb. And you probably have heard us by now if you hadn't heard the name before. It's headed right toward us. So they cancel school on Friday. And we're all like, woo! I rush to the store. I get a ton of snacks like chips and queso and movies. And I'm like, this is going to be great. And then on Saturday, it, it starts to rain. It's getting a little heavier. And I go to bed Saturday night, and I really am not, I'm not that concerned. 
And I get a text from some friends of mine about three in the morning. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? And they're like, well, we're freaking out. And I was like, freaking out? What in the world? And then she sends me a picture of her evacuee, like, backpacks ready to evacuate. And I was like, what in the world? Drama. Let's just relax a little bit. And literally within an hour and a half later, this, late, this good friend of mine plus three other families are on my doorstep with umbrellas. One of them has a six-week-old baby in a papoose. And they've all evacuated. There's a street right behind me. My twin sister lives on it called Shadow Bend. And every single street flooded. Our house did not flood, but they all came to our house, which was great, except my house is small. And so we had a lot of folks there. And all of a sudden, it felt like in 24 hours, our life is never going to be the same again. It was amazing to watch my husband take his kayak and rescue people on his kayak. It was incredible. I had a friend that has a sea do uh, whatever those are called. You know what those things are? Like a motorcycle, jet ski. And he's literally riding his jet ski up and down the street with elderly men and women on his back and other people on his back rescuing him. And I'm like, what in the world? I start waiting. I mean, I get my tennis shoes on and my running shorts, and I'm like, I'm just going to go see what's happening. And all of a sudden, I'm waist deep in water, walking down, trying to rescue a dog. I get a call saying, this house, their dog is, they're not home, but their dog is, and you need to go rescue this dog. And so I get there. My husband's coming behind me with my friend on a kayak, and I walk into this house, and you can't even believe what it looked like. Dark and just spiders everywhere. Just everything comes out in that nasty water. And I'm traipsing through there, and there's this little bitty chihuahua just shivering on this deal. I know, I feel very heroic. And so, because it's all about me, right? So I pick up this sweet dog and I'm carrying it out. And then I look in the next room, and there's a cat. And I'm not a cat fan. Somebody, you cat fan? I know, I'm sorry if you are. Some of us in here may collect cats, I don't know. But this cat is sitting there, and that cat's looking at me like, what are, what, what are we going to do? How's this going to go down? So I hand the chihuahua to Jason, my husband, and my, one of my best friends is out in a kayak waiting for us. And I grab this cat, and I walk out, and this cat starts just freaking out and clawing me. And my friend is like, just put the cat back. Take the cat back. Put the cat up. And I was like, I can't take the cat back. She's like, put the cat back. It's resilient. So I'm like, I'm putting the cat back. So I go back and I leave this cat there. It was not, it was sad. And I, I lost sleep over this stinking cat that mauled me. But I later found out that the cat is fine, that the cat is resilient. The owners were like, oh yeah, that cat's fine. That cat's got nine lives. But I'm telling you, as I'm res trying to rescue this gnarly cat, I'm realizing, I was like, what is happening? It just felt so surreal, did it not? I mean, if you're watching the news too, it's like, this is what we see in like other places. This is where we, we get our mission trips together and we fly over somewhere else and we help for a few days and then we come back home to our comfortable bed. That's how this is supposed to work. And all of a sudden I'm watching the news and I'm like, that's us. Several of my friends were interviewed from Friendswood. I don't know if you guys saw Eric Harding who played the piano. If you saw it, it went viral. He's a friend of ours. It was just unbelievable and so surreal. And I know many of you have experienced the exact same thing. And just when I think I've caught my breath and life is getting back to normal, I'll drive down our main road and I'll look to the left and there's a street with just trash everywhere on every street, just piled high waiting for the city to come get it. 
It's amazing, isn't it, how vulnerable we are? In 24 hours notice, our life can totally change, less than that. Some of us in this room have not been as affected by Harvey, but you've been affected by cancer. Some of us in the room have not been affected by cancer, but you've been affected by a marriage that's crumbling. Some of us in the room have not been affected by a hard marriage, but you've been affected by singleness and loneliness, and you wish that that would change. Some of us have been affected by children that are wayward. But it's amazing when something like this happens, the heroism that comes out, the beautiful things that I've seen displayed have just blown me away. But at the same time, the vulnerability that we all feel just shakes us to our bones, does it not? All of a sudden, I realized that we're trying to find a new normal. We're trying to walk out of this thing and discover a new normal. And I'm experiencing that because of the aftermath of Harvey. Some of you are experiencing that because of grief, because of loss, because of a change in your job, because of all sorts of things. But when something happens in your life, like a curveball, like this, all of a sudden you realize that your life is dated. It's before Harvey and after Harvey, before the divorce and after the divorce, before the death, after the death, before the cancer diagnosis or whatever the diagnosis is, and after. And at any moment, our life can just turn upside down, turn upside down. And we're finding ourselves in Friendswood, and I know you are too, we're trying to figure out what the new normal is supposed to look like. What does the aftermath look like? How do we walk out of this? Because for a while, the adrenaline is just carrying us. And we're just, Jason said, you know, I'm physically tired, but there's something so glorious about what we're doing. I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing, and it's helping and serving people and rescuing them. And I had people in my home, and every night for about 10 days, anyone that, was, anyone that needed food would just come and eat on my deck. And every morning I would wake up and I thought, okay, Lord, this is the morning. I can't afford to feed all these people. And I don't even know how many people these people are. So you're just going to have to do it. And I'm telling you, I would ask the Lord, okay, Lord, you're just, who's going to feed us tonight? And I'd get a phone call and somebody would say, I heard you're, you're taking people into your house. I'm bringing you a meal. How many do you need it for? I said, I don't know, probably 20 to 30. I'll bring it for 50. And it was just overwhelming every single night. And there's something that is just so glorious. That's the way we should live where we just give whatever we need to whoever's in need, right? But after that, the adrenaline kind of kind of goes down a little bit and now we're all trying to find a new normal. The phone calls, the phone's not ringing. What do you need? Can I bring you a meal? We're all just kind of walking this thing out. You may be experiencing that in a different circumstance but the same emotion. The funeral, the celebration service is over. The treatment has begun. Whatever it is, and so you find yourself trying to figure out what does normal look like now? What does it look like now? And in the midst of that, some emotions that I've been feeling is just I feel really foggy. It's like I cannot think straight. My sleep has been interrupted. My, it, the other night I was um, about 20 miles from home and I was meeting Jason and the kids. We were going to meet for dinner. And it just started. It was the first hard rain since Harvey. And it, do y'all remember? And it started pummeling and lightning. And he was about five minutes away from meeting him. I was in the parking lot of the restaurant and I called him. I said, beep, beep, beep. I am going home. I don't want to be out in this. We'll meet at home. We'll find something to eat there. Because I could just tell it was just messing with me. You may feel that way. You think you're fine and then you hear a song and all of a sudden you're in tears. 
A thought crosses your mind. One thing I know for sure is that life is not going to be the same again, but we're going to find a new normal. And what's helped me a ton is while I feel really shaky and unsteady in all of this, I know that the Lord has planted my feet firmly. I'll, I'll read this passage in a little bit, but in Psalm 40, it says, The Lord has, made, has set my feet upon a rock, and he has made my footsteps firm. And so for me, the thing that's giving me hope is that there are, there are times when I felt incredibly intimately connected to the Lord. And then there's been lots of other moments where I felt really distant and kind of just out of sorts. But what has helped me is knowing that his nearness has never changed. His nearness in your life has never changed. And so while I feel shaky, I know that my feet are firm. I know that the Lord has me. He's got me in his hands. And so I was saying this yesterday, is that I feel like that um, those blow-up guys that are on the corner of every cell phone service company that are doing that, you know, they're trying to get you to come in. And they look like they're about to blow over, but their feet are planted. That's how I feel in this aftermath. I feel like my feet are planted, but I'm just going to and fro and feel unsteady. But the thing that gives me peace is knowing that I'm not going to, I'm not going to blow away because he has made my footsteps firm. And so as we were praying, the board got together and we thought, okay, what do we do going forward in this semester? And I really sensed that God was leading us in a different direction. And this, I'm telling you, the board of directors for Yes Ministries is amazing. They're prayer warriors. And they said, we kind of sense the same thing. So we just hunkered down and prayed. And I said, we need to know in the midst of this, who is God? Is he trustworthy? Because there's a lot of us who we don't know that our feet are firmly planted. And we feel like we're being blown, tossed to and fro. And I thought, you know what? We're going to talk about that this semester. Who is God? And it reminded me when the Israelites were about to leave, they were discovering a new normal themselves. They had been in slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years. And they had been groaning, Scripture says in Exodus 2. They had been groaning and crying out to the Lord for freedom. Can anybody relate to that? Groaning? Sometimes I'm groaning and I don't even realize I'm groaning. But I just know something's not right. Others of us, man, we've been crying out. And in Exodus chapter 2, the Lord turns and he says, I've heard the cries of my people. I have compassion, and it says in Exodus, he knew it was time to act. And so the Lord is about to move the Israelites to a new normal, to a new place. And so he appears to Moses, and it reminds me of, in a sense, the season that we are in, is that we're moving to a new normal, to a new place. And it's the aftermath of Harvey, but it may be something different in your life. But here's what I want all of us to know is that anytime the Lord, and he's always on the move, but when he's moving me in a new direction or to a new place, it's always going to be better. It's always going to be better. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, um, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, um, for welfare, uh, to, to give you a hope and a future, to prosper you, not plans to harm you. And that word harm, when you translate it, it's ra'ah. In Hebrew, and it really means evil. And so we know the Lord is saying, my heart, my intentions toward you are never calamity or evil or distress. Never, ever. 
Now, he doesn't say my plans um, towards you are never to make you uncomfortable. My goal in your life is that you're always at ease and you're always comfy. He never says that. He says, in this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have trouble. But I'm never moving toward you with evil or malintent. And so the Lord is approaching the Israelites, and he's about to walk them into freedom. But it gets harder before it gets better. And so I want to pick up there because I think the Lord is really going to speak to us this semester about wilderness seasons and about who he is in the midst of them, the great I am. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this, it says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, excuse me, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Sinai, Horeb is the name of it, it later is named Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of God. So he's over there, and he's tending this flock, and he's in the wilderness when the Lord approaches him. We need to remember that. Sometimes when we're in a wilderness season, wilderness means it's hard, it's unclear, it's foggy, You're in a waiting season. This is hard. You're hoping to come out to the other side. And you may think God's not watching you. He's not aware of you. And God can meet you and will meet you right there in the wilderness. So he meets him there. In verse 2 it says, An angel of the Lord appears to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush doesn't burn up. It says, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him within the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, do you know that the Lord knows your name? Do you know that? Do you know that in your guts? He knows your name. And he says, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. And he said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There's a reason he says that. We'll come back to it. But it says at this this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Anytime we have a fresh revelation, a fresh understanding, or we feel like, oh, wait, I just saw him clearly in a way I've not seen him before, it will lead us to a place of worship. And typically worship, it just, it just means that you're exalting God in the place he deserves and you're recognizing that you're not God. And Moses is like, yes, Lord, I've experienced God. The presence of God is powerful. Verse 7, the Lord then says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering." Did you know that God knows your name, and did you know that God is concerned about you? Did you know that today? Do you you know that? Are you questioning that? Are you wondering, are you not sure that God knows your name, and he is concerned about you, and he's concerned if you're struggling? He's concerned about your suffering. He's not disappointed. He's not irritated. He's not mad. He's not distant. He's concerned about your suffering. And he knows your name because he's an intimate God. And he says, uh, in verse 8, it says, So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. See, God's intentions for us are always better than our current. It's always to move us to greater freedom and greater intimacy with him. Regardless of our zip code, 
regardless of how big our house is, regardless of our bank account, regardless of our marital status, of our relationship status, of our career, God is always moving us to a deeper place of intimacy, trust, and freedom in Him. And when we experience that, it just doesn't matter where we live. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my bank account looks like. I need Him. I need His presence. So do you. And God knows that. In, the, in your presence, Lord, is the fullness of joy. And so he says, uh, I'm sending them to a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Thank you very much. And it says in verse 9, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The Lord is saying, go. And look at what Moses says in reply in verse 11. Moses says, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? How many of us have asked that question? Who am I that the Lord would ask me to do anything for him? Who am I that I would take that risk? Who am I that I would step out in faith and believe you for that? Who am I I to be obedient? I think I'm probably just crazy. Did I really hear you? Who am I? And this is what I love about the Lord. Watch the Lord's response. In verse 12, it says, God said, I will be with you. God ignores the question. He does not even give energy to it. I love that. He doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're special. You are a good boy. You, are, you got what it takes. He doesn't. He doesn't try and build up his self-esteem because here's the thing. Here's what Moses needs. He needs God. And so he's not asking you to do something because you bring a certain skill set to the table. He's not asking you to do something because you've got a certain discipline in your life. He's not asking you to do something because you're like some courageous woman. He's asking you to do something. He's going to take your little life and he's going to show himself big through it. So it just really doesn't matter what I have, what I possess, or what I don't possess. Thank you, Jesus, that it doesn't. And it gives me no room for pride. No room for saying, uh, aren't you glad you got me on your team, Lord? And it also gives me no room for false humility of like, well, I just stink. I'm not. It's like, please don't waste energy with that. We're all a mess. Yes, we all need a Savior. And so the Lord just responds and tells him, really, he just answers the right question. The wrong question or the unimportant question is, well, who am I? And the right question is, who are you? Who are you? And God says, I will be with you. I'm going to go with you. And he says, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought up the people out of Egypt, you're going to worship them, worship God on this mountain. And then Moses says to God, He begins to ask the really right question. He says, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. So Moses is saying, okay, let's play this out, Lord. Suppose I say yes to you. You're asking me to go do something that I can't do on my own. You're asking me to step out in faith in a way that I've never done before. You're asking me to trust you. And not only is it just about me, but I got to lead a bunch of stiff-necked people. So let's play this out. Say, I'm going to say yes. I haven't said yes yet, but let me just, let's, I'm going to say yes, hypothetically. How many of us have done that? Oh, my goodness. Sylvia's still thinking, I don't know that I really said yes to this. 
And he's saying, okay, suppose I do this. Just tell me who am I supposed to say has sent me? All right? Who, who do I tell them has sent me? And what's interesting, when you see this question, when you translate it in Hebrew, it says, ma shemo is what he's really asking. He's saying, Lord, ma shemo. And what's important about that is that he didn't ask me, uh, let me make sure I, I get it right. He doesn't ask me shimka, me shimka, which is normally what you would see. The, the difference is this. So, Judy, if I come up to you and I've never met you and I say, hey, who are you? What would you say? I'm Judy. That's what that question, Mia Shimka just means, tell me your name. Who are you? But, but it's like, don't get into anything. Just let's stay surface. Let's stay right up here. It's that initial greeting. Who are you? I'm Judy. But if I were to say Mashimo to Judy, I'm saying, Judy, I want to know you. I want you to peel back the curtains and I want you to tell me who is Judy. Who is it? Who is it? So if, if you were to ask me about Jason, Mia Shimka would be, my answer to you if you asked me in that context would be, he is six feet tall, he's about 180 pounds, 185 after Harvey, he is, he's uh, got a beard, he works for a church, he's got a sing, he sings, he's, you know, I would just give you some facts. And you would know about Jason, but if you said, Laura, in context of Jason, Mashimo. I'd say, well, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about him. He's got these chiseled cheekbones that are beautiful. But what you really need to know is his heart. You need to know him. He would serve anybody. He would put his, li his life at risk without a second's thought. He thinks of me all the time. He's so gracious and kind. He's patient. He's so slow to anger. He loves the Astros so much so that he'll just go by himself if he's got an afternoon free and just sit there. And he gets there early for batting practice. He loves the whole mindset of the game. I could go on and on. And then you would feel like, I, whoa, I really know him. And so Moses is saying, okay, Lord, if I go to the Israelites, Mashamo, Mashamo. Why? Because he knows the Israelites are going to want to know, is he trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? So much so that I'm willing to say, okay, I'm going to follow you to a better place, even though I don't know what that journey is going to look like. I don't know what the journey entails. I don't know what you're going to ask me to leave behind. I don't know what it's going to look like, but what I do know is that you are trustworthy. You're trustworthy. And I'll discover that as I go, but I'm learning enough now just to say yes. Ma Shemo. And here's how the Lord answers when he says, Ma Shemo. In verse 14, God said to Moses, here's what you say to him. You say, I am who I am. I am who I am. We'll talk about that in just a second. And then he says, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. You tell them, I am has sent you. I am has sent you. I am who I am is translated to mean a yay, Asher, a yay, which means whatever I am, I will be. So what that means is when God said originally to Moses, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's telling him covenant God. I'm the covenant God. I've been true. I've been the same God with Abraham that I was to Isaac, that I have been to Jacob, the same God to your father. 
Whatever I am, I will be. So what he's saying is, whoever I am, I'm always going to be that. I'm always going to be that. Now, I am, when you translate it, means Yahweh. Yahweh. And so we're going to look, and this is what we're going to delve into this semester, is what does Yahweh mean? But he says, you tell them, I am, Yahweh has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. And he says at the end of 15, he says, this is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I'm so grateful that I follow a consistent God. Because let me tell you, when you try and find covenant love with other human beings, we are temperamental beings. I can be in a good mood one minute and a bad mood the next. You can look at me cross-eyed and it could set me off, or you could look at me cross-eyed and it makes me laugh. Same is true for you. Same is true for if you're married for your spouses. If you work in a workplace, you may work for a boss and you're like, I don't even know what to expect today, right? You can always know that you serve and you follow Yahweh. He's always consistent. And this is how he describes himself. What does it mean? What does Yahweh mean? In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, that's where we're going to kind of look, kind of highlight this semester. But he says, I am Yahweh, which means the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. He says, I'm slow to anger and I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So I'm the God of compassion. I'm the God of mercy. I'm the God that I'm slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love, unfailing love. That means his love never fails you and never fails me. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. How many of us would just love to be in relationship with someone that we know is going to be faithful? Faithful. Filled with faithfulness. I lavish, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I lavish it. He's an abundant God. He's not a scarcity God. But I do not, he says, um, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That covers all our bases, girls, all of our bases. You may be thinking, well, yeah, but ah, mm-mm. all covered. Iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he says, I don't excuse the guilty. Now, don't panic. We're going to talk about what that means later in the semester. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. That just means there's consequences of sin that carry on through generations. You've seen that. If you've got addiction in your family, you'll see patterns that are followed. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generation. He's Yahweh. So he says, Moses, this is who you're going to go tell them. You tell them, I am sent you. I am sent you. That's because he's not before, he's not after, he's always present. I am has sent you. And so I want you to think about that in your life, in the context of where you find yourself today on Wednesday, September 20th. What, what, what season do you find yourself in? Where do you find yourself walking? Are you trying to find and discover a new normal like we are in Friendswood? Are you just trying to survive? Are you hoping and expecting there's going to be a change come in your marriage? Are you hoping that you're going to get a different career? 
Are you hoping that your husband's going to get a job? What is it that you find yourself walking in that's requiring you to trust the Lord? Another question that I might ask you is, where do you find yourself really wobbly, really shaky right now? Nothing can shake me up like my kids. If my kids aren't okay, I'm like, Nuh. It feels like our whole town, yesterday, we, like Sylvia said, we had 200 women come together, and, and several women came in the door, and when they walked in, they took a deep breath and just started weeping because we all feel just so tired. And we feel like we've walked through some battleground together. And so they're just tired and foggy, and they feel like they're trying to make sense of it. My twin sister flooded. Her house is gone. And so she and her kiddos are living with us. And every day, she just is, she's just tired. I've, I ran into a sweet couple, and they, they didn't have flood insurance. They can't get a hold of FEMA. They can't move forward on their house. They're living with uh, their parents. And it's just like, and they're trying to walk out into this whole new normalcy thing. What does this look like? How long will this go on? When will this end? You may be asking those questions in your life. Well, here's why I pose these to us today, these questions, is because regardless if you know Yahweh or not, you're going to have these experiences in life. Storms are not immune. They, they don't bypass certain people. Storms come in our life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Nobody's immune to it. And so here's the thing. I can walk this thing out, and my faith can derail because I really am not grounded. My feet really aren't set on the rock. I've never really trusted him. And I'm as unsteady as they come. I'm an anxious mess. I'm not sleeping. Or... You and I can walk this out together with Yahweh, the great I am. And as we do that, we get to know him in a way that we've never known him before. We get to understand that right now, though my feet are steady, I feel wobbly. I'm not unsafe. He's not left me. And so I'm going to sleep at night even though I don't have all the answers. I'm going to sleep at night even though I'm not totally settled. Because the great I am has set my feet upon a rock. And why is that? Because he's compassionate and he's merciful and he's full of loving kindness and faithfulness. He will not abandon me ever. He cannot deny his own. And so I can then go, okay, Lord, you're doing something here that's going to be good in my life. You're doing something here. You're bringing change in my marriage that wouldn't have been brought otherwise. You're strengthening my children in a way that I didn't even know they needed it. You're bringing people to you that, that wouldn't have otherwise come. There's all sorts of things that are happening. And I'm going to live life that way. I want to know the great I am. I want to know him. I want to know that he's good. I want to understand when scripture tells me and God describes himself like this, I want to know that experientially. I want to know that in my guts. And I want you to know that too. And so as we journey together this semester, I want you to begin asking that question, who do I know? Do I really know the great I am? What has been your experience with him? And would you open yourself up to experience him a little bit more? Because here's the thing, in Houston, in Friendswood, all the surrounding areas, our finest hour has been said, it's been said, our finest hour was during all of that rescue time. When we were 
you know, just the footage on TV. And it was, I saw men and women just with, with amazing acts of heroism. But I really think as believing women, our finest hour will be the aftermath, how we walk this out. Because that's what people are seeing. That's what they're watching. Is how are you going to act when FEMA doesn't call you back? How are you going to act when it takes six months longer than you thought? How are you going to act when your husband says no to counseling, but you go anyway? How are you going to respond when it's, when it's difficult? Will you be tethered to the great I am? I was telling the board just earlier when we were praying, I read a quote this morning and it said, when we trust the Lord in the midst of suffering, others are drawn to his glory. Just when we trust him. And it, it, what, what I love about that is it's not saying when we jump up in joy when we're suffering or when we put on a brave face and we pretend like it's all okay. No, it just says when you trust him. There's a lot, lot of times at three in the morning, I'm like, God, I don't like this. I can be real and honest and it doesn't mean I'm not trusting him. And so will we walk together and discover the great I am this semester? Because I think that will be our finest hour. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Lord, I'm grateful for you today. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have brought us together. It just does something for my soul to see these faces. So thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can gather together today. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will cause us to remember what we needed to know today. Lord, would you be speaking to us even now? And Lord, I pray that at the end of these seven weeks, Lord, that we will really, in our guts, know you better. Our mission at Yes Ministries is to draw all women closer to Jesus. Would you do that? You're the great I am. And so we thank you ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen.